Well, I don't know about you, but that last song we just sang kind of has grown on me this summer, hasn't it? Uh, just a really good song to sing and, and uh, really to sing this um, psalm back to the Lord. And uh, it's just a joy to be able to sing that and, and uh, know a little bit more about what we're singing about. Amen? And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Psalm 23 for the last time this summer. And uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the final verse of this psalm, verse 6. And I've entitled tonight's message, All This and Heaven Too. All this, everything we've been talking about, right? Um, everything in verses 1 through 5 that we are blessed with as, par- as, as being members, uh, sheep in God's flock. We're, we're a blessed flock. And, and, it, and, and, it's, and yet it's still not done. And so it's all this and heaven too. Let's read Psalm 23 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And here we go. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for uh, this psalm and uh, all that it has meant to us before we ever begin studying it together. And Lord, what it maybe means to us now even more. And we're just thankful for your word and how your spirit illuminates us to understand the depths of what is here in in the text and then also uh, makes application of it to our lives. And I pray once again tonight that your spirit would be actively working amongst us. And uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would be using uh, your word tonight to comfort your sheep. And Lord, also maybe to draw others into your fold as people consider uh, where they're going to spend eternity and if they, whether or not they have the confidence that David had that he was going to heaven when he died. And Lord, I pray that no one would leave here tonight without knowing for sure that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Independence Day, July 4th, one of America's favorite holidays, which is uh, always marked by parades and barbecues and, of course, the crescendo of the day, the fireworks show, right? And we were talking about that, uh, Billy and I, earlier this evening, that uh, we've all watched a fireworks show with its brilliant bursts of color and light and heart-pounding explosions and the oohs and the ahs of the crowd, especially during the finale. And every fireworks show that I've been to, they always save the best for what? For last, right? And we, we watch the show and we enjoy it, but we're all waiting in anticipation of, of when it all just blows up, right? And just goes crazy at the end, and, and we cheer and we clap. And, uh, and, and David did the same thing when he wrote Psalm 23. He saved the best for last. And so reading 
and or studying through Psalm 23 should provide us with, with a similar thrilling sensation that we get when we watch a fireworks show. And as each verse shoots off in the air and explodes in its beauty, we should go, ooh, and ah, right? When we, when we learn about the, the, the person, our shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that goes up, wow. And then in verse 2, we learn about how he gives us peace and serenity as he makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us beside quiet waters, and that goes up. We're like, wow. In verse 3, we learn about how he restores our soul, and he guides us in the path of righteousness, and he, he has, this is his plan for our life, to, to bring us back on track and to keep us on track. And, and that goes off, and we're like, wow, ooh. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and we learn about God's protection, and, and psh, wow, oh. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows, and we learn about God's amazing provision. Psh, ooh, wow. And we all know where it's getting to the end, right? There's not, not many fireworks left. They've been bl- bl- blowing off a lot of stuff, right? It's got to be getting close to the end. And all of a sudden, sure enough, verse 6. And David just launches everything else. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grand finale. Right? It's all over the place. And this really, I think, is the most dazzling promise of the entire psalm, and it should leave us feeling breathless and thinking, wow, that's awesome. And it's truly amazing how much a punch is packed into Psalm 23. One short psalm, six simple verses that are jam-packed with truth that influences and impacts our lives both now and for all eternity. Someone wrote this about Psalm 23. They said there's a depth of meaning in every verse and a fullness of joy from its commencement to its conclusion, which comprehends all that is needed in life and death, in time, and throughout all eternity. And even though this psalm was written some 3,000 years ago, I don't think there's any other psalm that is more relatable, more relevant to our lives than Psalm 23. And throughout the centuries, people, of all, uh, people all over the world in all stages and stations of life have turned to Psalm 23 to find peace and comfort and hope. Listen to what um, Spurgeon quotes in his classic commentary called The Treasury of David. And he has this massive three-volume commentary where he just kind of unpacks uh, the Psalms, and, he, and, and my favorite part of the commentary is, is he has these explanatory notes at the end where he, he just quotes uh, all these other preachers. And uh, listen to what one preacher said. This was a, an American uh, minister back in the 1800s named Henry Ward Beecher. He said, this, this 23rd Psalm is the nightingale of the Psalms. It is a small, homely feather singing shyly out of obscurity, but oh, it has filled the air of the whole world with melodious joy greater than the heart can conceive. 
Blessed be the day on which that psalm was born. What would you say of a pilgrim commissioned of God to travel up and down the earth singing a strange melody which when one heard, when one heard it caused him to forget whatever sorrow he had? In other words, Psalm 23 is that pilgrim who goes to and throw throughout the earth and, and whenever you hear the song, you forget what you were sad about. And so the singing angel goes on his way through all lands, singing in the language of every nation, driving away trouble by the pulses of the air, which his tongue moves with divine power. The pilgrim God has sent to speak in every language on the globe, it has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the, philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than our sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captains in du- captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and sung him back to his home again. Listen to this. This is cool. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go too. He says, nor is its work done. In other words, the work of, that the Lord is doing through Psalm 23 is not done. It will go singing to your children and to my children and to their children through all the generations of time, nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended, and then it shall fly back to the bosom of God where it came from and sound on mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which makes heaven musical forever. What a just profound thought about the power, the influence, the impact, the longevity, uh, maybe even we could say the eternality of Psalm 23, that this beloved psalm will echo in heaven through all eternity as a glorious reminder of why God is so worthy to be worshipped because of his loving care for his chosen flock. And David, as we've been learning, wrote this as a celebration. It's a song. It's not a prayer. He wasn't asking God for anything in this, in this psalm. He was simply celebrating in song, rejoicing, delighting in the fact that he was one of the Lord's sheep and that the Lord was his faithful shepherd. I mean, what a blessed people we are to have the Lord as our shepherd. That's what he was saying. And as he reflected on all that the Lord had done for him throughout his lifetime, this was probably written not as a young shepherd boy, but later on in life, and he was remembering what his life was like as a shepherd boy and using that as an an analogy to describe his lifelong relationship with the Lord. And so he was looking back at, at all that the Lord had done for him throughout his lifetime, and it gave him confidence about what he would do for him in the future. And notice the... The, the sudden shift from the present to the future here in verse 6. He, he's been saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. Um, your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. You prepare. You anoint. My cup overflows. Now, no, it's surely goodness and loving kindness will will, future tense, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So now David 
is no longer looking at the past and uh, not even in the present. He's looking at the future. And he's basically saying, the Lord has been faithful to me in the past and he will be faithful to me to the end. And so he moves here from past experiences to his future life with God. And his past experiences gave birth to his present hope. And so because David had seen God's faithfulness through the years, he had hope for the years to come. It's probably best illustrated by the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And the third chorus or the third verse goes like this, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and what? Bright hope for what? The future or bright hope for tomorrow. You guys knew it better than I did, right? Bright hope for tomorrow. And this is what, this is what we, we see here in this verse. This is, this is David's bright hope for tomorrow. And unfortunately, that's not the case for a lot of people in the world today, including some Christians. Many people, including believers, worry about tomorrow. They're fearful of what the future holds. And listen, the world knows that. In fact, Hollywood is making a lot of money off our fear of the future. Have you noticed all the futuristic films that are coming out these days? I mean, just in droves, right? And, and it doesn't matter if it's a zombie or an alien or some outbreak of disease, right? It's, it's how is the world going to end, right? Uh, the, these kind of catastrophe movies and, and these apocalyptic movies, and, and it, it's playing on people's fears of the future or, or at least maybe just on the unknown, the curiosity of the unknown, and, and they're capitalizing on the fact that the world is an uncertain place. And our natural sinful tendency is to be anxious and fearful about what will happen to us in the future, is it not? Isn't that our natural tendency, is to be afraid of the future, and really because it's unknown to us? We're prone to think about all the bad things that could happen to us in our marriages, in our families, with our jobs, with our finances, with our health. But we learn the principle here, we may not... You've heard this said before, we may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, right? And that's, in essence, what David was saying here. He was looking at the future, not with fear, not with anxiety, but with hope and confidence, a sense of anticipation. He was excited. He was looking forward to the future because he was absolutely certain that no matter what happened to him, God's goodness and mercy would be there with him just like they had always been throughout his entire life. And ultimately, he had the hope and peace and confidence that God would take him home to live with him forever in heaven. You remember I said last week that a number of commentators suggest that David switched metaphors here at the end of the psalm. Uh, from a shepherd and sheep to a host and a guest, right? We said last week, you know, the table and the cups and the oil doesn't sound so much like a, sh- a shepherd uh, sheep analogy, right? And then here we have a, a house as well. And so they would continue to say, hey, this is a house and a guest. But again, I think it makes more sense that David maintained the shepherd sheep analogy throughout this entire psalm and primarily because of this, uh, this psalm is clearly migratory, Right, It's following, uh, the the flow of the psalm follows the seasonal movements of a shepherd with his sheep. 
And we said that in the early spring, the shepherd would care for his sheep among the green pastures and quiet streams near his home. Then as the summer heat began to, to scorch the grass, the shepherd would move uh, his sheep to higher ground through the valleys, the mountainous valleys, to graze in the, in the tablelands, the mountain meadows. And uh, then as fall approached, the shepherd would lead his flock back down the mountain to his home where they would spend the winter. And so in, in, in verse 6, David describes this triumphant journey home, back to the shepherd's house, back to the sheepfold, if you will. Max Lucado said that to read this verse, verse 6, is to open up a box of jewels. Each word sparkles and begs to be examined in the face of our doubts and insecurities. And so if you have doubts, if you have insecurities in your life, and not just presently, but for your future, and ultimately for your eternal destiny, okay? We're going to look at each one of these words here tonight, and it's going to sparkle as we examine it together. And so let's look at the first word here. It says, surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all days of my life. Notice it doesn't, David didn't say, possibly, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all days of my life. Hopefully, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. What did he say? Surely. Literally, certainly. Certainly. In other words, that, this, this was not wishful thinking, but this was total confidence in, in the reliability and the trustworthiness of God. David was absolutely sure that he could count on God's goodness and loving kindness. And what's more, there was no doubt in his mind that he would only and exclusively experience these two things. You might see in your margin in, in your Bible that that word surely is, is sometimes translated only or exclusively. So we could read it this way, only goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life or, or exclusively goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. The point is, we have a trustworthy shepherd, and so we can count on getting fed, we can count on getting water, we can count on being led and protected, we can count on being loved and cared for. F.B. Meyer, who <coughs> wrote a great little book called The Shepherd's Psalm, talks about the surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. He says, surely, because God has never failed in the past. Surely, because it would not become him to take in the hand and not complete. In other words, God doesn't ever start something that doesn't finish. Surely, because he has pledged himself by exceeding great and precious promises. Surely, because the united testimony of all of his saints attests that he never fails or forsakes. Surely, because if he has set his love on us in eternity, he is not likely to forget us in time. So surely... There shall never be a day in our earthly pilgrimage in which God shall not be at our side in goodness and mercy. And then he makes application. He says this, fearful and fainting saints. That's the way they used to talk back then, fainting, right? Not that you're passing out, but that you're, you're faint of heart. You're fearful. You're fretting. 
You're, you're nervous. You're scared. Fearful and fainting hearts, he says, dreading the dark way alone. Take heart. Gird yourselves with new courage. Lift up the hands which hang down and confirm the feeble knees. God knows how many days of life remain. He knows their needs. He knows their temptations. He knows their sorrows. And he pledges himself that as the, as the day, so shall be the strength. That the day shall never come which shall be unblessed with his goodness and mercy, and that he himself in the person of the blessed Lord will be with us all the days, even unto the end of the age. Wasn't Jesus who said, do not be afraid, for lo, I am with you always, right? Even to the end of the age. And so surely, surely, certainly, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Interesting, those two words, goodness and loving kindness, two of the Lord's premier attributes that are often found together in the Psalms. In fact, David loved to put these two together. And look at Psalm, 27, excuse me, Psalm 25, just a couple of Psalms over. Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. How about Psalm 100? Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 118. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And then Psalm 136, just the psalmist goes off here. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And then every other verse, all the other verses he says for his loving kindness is everlasting over and over and over again, 26 times. Every verse contains that. So the point here, I think, when, when David says, surely goodness and loving kindness, these were two inseparable components of God's comprehensive care of his sheep. You couldn't have one without the other. Goodness provides our every need. Mercy, as loving kindness is often uh, translated, surely goodness and mercy uh, will follow me all the days of my life. Mercy pardons our every sin. So, Goodness provides our every need. Mercy pardons our, our, our every sin. So God will always be there. What David is saying is God will always be there to provide your every need and pardon your every sin. Whatever you need and however you sin, God's going to be there to provide for you and to pardon you. And again, back to the thought that only, exclusively goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. You're like, wait, a time out. That can't be the translation because there's a lot of bad things that happen to me in my life. So how can, how can I justify this verse, this only good things are going to happen? Well, we shouldn't assume that he's saying that only good things will happen to us. Lots of bad things may happen to us, but God is able to use those bad things for what? Good to mold us and mature us into the person he wants us to be. Genesis 50, 20 Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And whatever evil in, in your life 
uh, whatever you're dealing with in your life that's evil or bad, it's really good disguised in evil. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And ultimately, he wants to conform us to the image of his son. So there are, there are times when our confidence in the Lord's goodness and loving kindness um, are tested. Aren't there times when you question whether or not God is really good, whether or not God really loves you? And it's typically when we go through bad times, hard times, difficult times, right? I love what Philip Keller wrote in uh, Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And by the way, if you haven't uh, got picked up a copy yet, it's, it's not too late. I just saw some more copies in the Resource Center today and uh, just a couple bucks. It'll be the best $2 you ever spent. Uh, to buy a copy of this book and, and, and have it in your library, read it. But listen to what he talks about here in his learning to trust rather than question God's care for him. He said, there were events in my life which at the time seemed like utter calamities. There were paths down which God led me that appeared like blind alleys. There were days he took me through which were well nigh black as night itself, but all in the end turned out for my benefit and my well-being. He says, with my limited understanding as a finite human being, I could not always comprehend his management executed in infinite wisdom. Talking about managing the sheep, his flock. He says, with my natural tendency to fear and worry and ask why, it was not always simple to assume that he really did know what he was doing with me. Can you relate to that? There were times I was tempted to panic, to bolt, and to leave his care. Somehow, I had this strange, stupid notion I could survive better on my own. Most men and women do have that stupid notion. But despite this perverse behavior, I'm so glad that he did not give up on me. I'm so grateful that he did not, that I'm so grateful he did follow me in goodness and mercy. The only possible motivation was his own love, his care and concern for me as one of his sheep. And despite my doubts, despite my misgivings about his management of my affairs, he has picked me up and borne me back again in great tenderness. As I see all of this in retrospect, I realize that for the one who is truly in Christ's care, no difficulty can arise, no dilemma emerge, no seeming disaster descend on the life without eventual good coming out of the chaos. This is to see the goodness and mercy of my master in my life. It has become the great foundation of my faith and confidence in him. That's a great reminder that God will always cause good to come out of chaos. He says, I love him because he first loved me. His goodness and mercy and compassion to me are new every day, and my assurance is lodged in these aspects of his character. My trust is in his love for me as his own. My serenity has its basis and implicit, unshakable reliance on his ability to do the right thing, the best thing in any given situation. This to me is the supreme portrait of my shepherd. Continually there flows out to me his goodness and his mercy, which even though I do not deserve them, Come unremittingly from the source of supply, his own great heart of love for me. Herein is the essence of all that has gone before us in this psalm. David's point here is that God's blessing on his people remain with them no matter what circumstances they're in. Notice, surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy will what? Follow me all the days of my life. They will shadow 
us. They will chase us. They will relentlessly pursue us wherever we go. In every circumstance, in every situation in life, in times of joy, in times of sorrow, on the mountaintops where we're on a spiritual high to the depths of our sin when we fail again and do the same sin that we hate and we did it again, right? That guess what? God's goodness and mercy are following us even then. Even when we stray into sin, And God's goodness and God's mercy, as one man said, shred our conscience in order to lead us to repent and return to the Lord. Even when we sin, right? God's goodness and mercy are chasing after us to bring us back. And they lead us to conviction. They lead us to to brokenness and repentance. I mean, David was a great man, but he was also a great sinner, in need of God's mercy, and, and God was merciful to him. He didn't, he didn't give him what he deserved. What did David deserve for uh, committing adultery and murder? He deserved to be stoned twice. Two life sentences, right? Double death penalty. And yet God was merciful to him. And so Psalm 51, we know Psalm 51, right? Where the, his prayer of confession, his prayer of repentance. The, Psalm 51 is a monument to God's goodness and mercy in David's life. It's an example of how how God's goodness and loving kindness followed him even down the path of sin with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah. I thought it was fascinating that a number of commentators liken these two uh, following uh, attributes of God, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. They liken them to two sheepdogs and how anyone who is a shepherd oftentimes will use dogs to help them herd. They're, they're essential to herding the flock. And it's, it's difficult for, for one shepherd to keep track of 700 sheep in a field. And so they, they employ sheepdogs, and they train sheepdogs to, to do the work with them, and the sheepdogs follow behind as the, as the shepherd walks ahead, right? He walks in front of the flock, and he leads us and guides us. The sheepdogs follow behind the flock, and they respond to the commands of the shepherd, and their job is to help us keep up with the rest of the flock and to stay on track, to not get off the path. And so we've got these two, two little uh, collies, if you will, or Australian shepherds, right? They're just nipping at our heels, goodness and mercy, and they're just kind of keeping us in line. And it's a good thing, right, that, that sheep have these sheepdogs keeping them on track. Keeping them from straying away or getting lost, and, and uh, they, they, they serve an invaluable role in the life of a shepherd. F.B. Meyer said it in a different way. He, he doesn't liken them to sheepdogs, but to two guardian angels. He says, There never will come a day throughout all the future in which we shall not have the two guardian angels, heavenly escorts, and God sent messengers, goodness and mercy. In other words, God sent goodness and mercy, goodness and loving kindness to be our traveling companions for our entire lives to escort us safely to heaven. How cool is that? He says they've been commissioned to attend the believer during all the days of his earthly pilgrimage. The eye of the believer 
may detect in moments of weariness and solitude the presence of those twin angels of God, goodness and mercy. And he'd use an example of, uh, he was from Britain and sometimes it gets really foggy and misty there and, and, and the clouds cover comes down and the weary traveler is kind of lost in the mist and he doesn't know where to go and he's tired and he just wants to sit down and, and, and go to sleep and quit. Uh, he's so worn out from the journey. And as he falls down to the ground, he turns and he notices some movement on either side of him and he finally saw through the mist, right, the images of these celestial um, angels, if you will, not literal angels, right, but these companions of, of goodness and loving kindness, goodness and mercy. So you might be going through something really hard right now. You, the mist is, the fo- it's, you're fogged in, spiritually fogged in, right? You can't see your hand in front of your face. Just know by faith, because the Bible says it's true, it's a promise, right, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life, even though you can't see them, you can't hear them, right? You can't feel them, they're there. God's goodness and mercy is there in your life right now. I don't care what you're going through, it's there. Even if you can't feel it, you can't see it, you can't hear it. They're right there. And you gotta trust, right, what the Bible says, not how you're feeling. Notice it says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me some of the days of my life. Most of the days of my life. Is that what your Bible says? What does your Bible say? All the days of my life. Every day of our lives. The good days and the bad days. See, it's easy to trust God in the good days, isn't it? In the good times. That, this is easy to, oh yeah, God's, God's good. God loves me. Everything's going great, right? But it's not so easy to believe this. When you're going through a difficult time, when you're, when you're in a bad day or in a bad time in your life, when your life's, you know, it's, it's the difference between your life's going great when your life's falling apart, right? Guess what? God's goodness and mercy are right there with you when your life's going great, and, 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 and they're right there with you when your life's falling apart, which is, by the way, a great reminder that you don't earn God's goodness and mercy, it's not like if you're a good person and you're having a good day and you had your quiet time and you did everything right, that God's going to be good to you and he's going right, to show love to you. Guess what? He's good to you and he shows love to you even when you're a mess up, right? And you didn't have your quiet time and you yelled at your wife or you, you did that sin again or whatever it was, right? Again, all this stuff is undeserved. We don't earn it. God chooses to bless us as a gracious shepherd. Now, I was thinking about how frustrating sometimes when you're trying to use your, your frequent flyer miles and there's these things called blackout days. You ever try to, you know, it sounds great. Oh, yeah, you've, you racked up, you got 50,000 miles, but you can't use them when you want to fly. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for those miles, but why don't you let me use them? You got all these blackout dates, right, where, where the benefits don't apply. Guess what? There's not a day, there's never a blackout day with God where his benefits don't apply. You can use them every day. And that was the hope of Jeremiah as he was lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, he says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new when? Every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So there's a fresh supply of goodness and mercy every morning. Max Lucado asks the question, he says, think of the days that lie ahead. What do you see? 
Days at home with only toddlers? Some of you moms are like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Guess what? God will be by your side. Days in a dead-end job? Some of you guys are feeling that, right? Well, guess what? He's going to walk with you through that difficult time. Days of loneliness? He will take your hand. I mean, whatever you anticipate, what, what do you think of? What do you see in your future? I mean, it could, it could look like a difficult, just a long, hard road in your marriage. It, it might look like living with chronic pain for the rest of your life. It may, it may mean that you will lose your spouse. Your spouse will die. I mean, you may, you may be here t- tonight and just Ken, saying, Ken, I, I, I'm not getting any of this because my life stinks. I mean, I, my life is bad. I got a bad life. I mean, it's just filled with struggle, pain and sorrow and disappointment and loss. Well, that may be true, but do you have God? Because if you have God, that's all you need. That's what the psalmist said, Psalm 73 Asaph, Psalm 73, verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Asaph was not a happy camper in this psalm. He was, he was um, envying the wicked. He was, he was saying, hey, what's up with this, God? I, I, I've tried to keep my life pure and, and, and I'm, I'm suffering, and, and all these other people out there just having a, just a wild time doing whatever they want to do with whoever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and they don't seem to have a care in the world. This is not right. It doesn't jive with what I've known about you all my life, that you're good. That doesn't seem good to me, God. And he was questioning or being tempted to question the goodness of God. And then he realized when he came into the presence of the Lord that he had had it all wrong, And when his heart was embittered and pierced within him, he was senseless, he was ignorant, he was like a beast before him because he had forgotten, right, that he was continually with the Lord. The Lord was continually with him. And he was holding him by the hand and he was counseling him and guiding him and he knew that someday he would receive him into glory. He would take him to heaven someday. And then he said this, whom have I in heaven but you and besides you I desire nothing on earth. What a great hope. And so everywhere David turned, he saw God's blessing chasing him through the thick and the thin of life. I read an interesting um, story, uh, apparently it's a true story, uh, about H.A. Ironside, who was the famous preacher of Moody Memorial Church in in downtown Chicago years ago. And uh, he tells a story of a troubled woman who came to him, fearful that she was being followed by two men. And whenever she left her apartment, the two men would trail her, or at least so she thought. Whenever she, she got on the trolley, they would, they would be there at her side. She wasn't sure what she, she was able to, what, what, she didn't know what to do. And so she came to Ironside. He says, well, have you told the police? Have you called the cops? And she's like, well, yeah, but they said they weren't there. And so Ironside quickly figured out that these two men were imaginary figures, figments of her imagination, wishing To comfort her, he said, hey, listen, you've got nothing to worry about. Those two men are David's servants sent to help you. And he turned to Psalm 23, 6 and showed her in the Bible where it says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life. And so he reassured her that these two men 
were goodness and mercy. And their job was to help her. And she said, oh, I didn't know that. And she was content with that explanation, and she never worried again. <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to fight fire with fire, right? <laughs> fight crazy people with crazy counsel. And, uh, but then he said this, Ironside said, would to God that all believers could be so simple in their faith, believing that the goodness and mercy of God are always present to bless them, since our good shepherd is always near to care for us, may our hearts be at peace. That should, that's the application, by the way, is that if you're anxious tonight, you may say you know Psalm 23, but you're not applying it, right? You're not applying it. Because if you are, peace would be the result. Rest would be the result. Well, there's one last phrase here. David last, launches the last mortar, if you will, into the air. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he, he moves from the goodness and loving kindness of God following him all the days of his life, right, his lifetime. And then he jumps even further into the future. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. forever. So he goes from life to what? Eternity. He goes from earth to heaven. And notice, again, check your Bible out to make sure it says what it says, but he doesn't say, I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does your Bible say that? I hope to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've got my fingers crossed. Have you ever had somebody tell you that? Hey, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. No, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David talked a lot about the house of the Lord. Again, Psalm 27, 4, just right there in the same neighborhood. One thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Love his passion there. Psalm 84, 10, another familiar verse For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, obviously, the psalmist here was talking about the tabernacle, right? That was, what was, uh, that was God's house in those days. Um, it, was, um, it was where God dwelt. God came down and, and said, build me a house and I'll dwell in it. And so they basically saw the tabernacle as where God's presence was, and it was at the time. But ultimately, that's not what David was talking about here in Psalm 23, because guess what? The tabernacle and the temple, even the temple, no longer exist, right? You can't dwell in the tabernacle forever or the temple forever. So he was talking about something beyond the tabernacle and the temple, right? Something that the tabernacle and the temple represented, which is ultimately... Uh, having sweet communion and fellowship in heaven with God forever. Have you ever tried to think of forever? Like living forever, spending eternity in heaven? I told you last week that whenever I would go up into my bedroom at night, I would, 
right? Be afraid and greater is he is in me, greater is he in me. I would say that and I get it and I finally get in bed. But then some nights I couldn't go to sleep and I would remember laying in bed. I could see it like it was yesterday. I'd be laying in bed as a little kid trying to make my mind think about forever and for eternity. And I would lay there and I would like try to think about like what, is, what would be forever? How long is forever? And like, you ever done that? Try to make, force your mind beyond its limits? And then I smelled smoke and I stopped because it was like, <laughs> right? <laughs> the point is, you, we can't fathom forever. We're finite and that's infinite. But nevertheless, there is a homesickness in the heart, I think, of every believer. Is there not? I mean, you're, you're feeling like you're missing home. And some of you more than others. Some of you have been feeling homesick for heaven since your spouse died. That really makes you want to go home to heaven. Or maybe you buried a child. Or maybe you learned about that lump on your breast or that spot on your lung or since your marriage fell apart and you're left alone you want to you get to heaven sooner than the people that maybe haven't experienced those things. Is that true? You long for heaven more. And I think it's the, the twists and the turns of life have a way of reminding us that we're not home. This is not our home. And, and, and maybe, maybe you haven't experienced those things that I've talked about, but I, I guarantee you, you struggle with sin. You fight against sin every day, right? It's a battle. And I know you're suffering through some kind of trial. It may not be of the same magnitude that you know, losing a spouse or bearing a child or getting cancer or divorce. But whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're suffering through, can I encourage you that it's not always gonna be that way? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your Savior and Lord, that what you're dealing with right now is not permanent. And so you don't need to be driven to despair thinking there's no point to the misery. There's no end to this. You can find comfort in the realization that it will not last forever. Let me give you an example of how this should flesh itself out in our struggle against sin. One commentator said this, one of the consequences of Jesus being precious to the Christian is that the believer is a person always conscious of his own sin. By the way, that's a good evidence that you're saved, right? That you're just always aware of your sinfulness. This is not morbid. It is a result of grace working in your life. Jesus died to deliver us from sin's bondage, yet we still sin, and we know that each act of sin grieves our Savior. So the Christian hates sin. He hates his proneness to wander from God, his sinful thoughts and spiteful actions. He longs to be free from sin and be like Jesus. That longing is finally and totally satisfied in heaven. John tells us not only that we will see Jesus, but we will be like him when we get to heaven. Now we struggle with sin. And fail so often to lead a holy life. We cry with Paul, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Such a lament is right and proper. We are to go on with the struggle, but there are times when we wonder if it is all worth it. It is. Because we shall see Jesus and be like him. No more sin. No more defeats by the devil. 
the victory in Christ will be complete. There's another thing I wanted to read for you here. While I'm in the same neighborhood in this book, I'll read it after, I guess. But notice what he says here. I I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you hear what he said here? We shall see Jesus and be like him. David, I don't think, wasn't excited about where he would be in the future but with whom he would be in the future. The Lord. What will make heaven such an awesome place is because Jesus will be there. I read this other true story that I thought was very touching and I wanted to share it with you. It's from Adrian Rogers in his series he taught on Psalm 23. He said, I heard a story about a godly woman who loved the Lord with all her heart. In later years, she began losing her memory. Details about everyday life seemed to fade. Even names of her family began to elude her. And finally, even the faces of her loved ones slipped from her recollection. Throughout her life, she treasured the word of God, memorizing many texts from her threadbare Bible. Her favorite verse had always been 2 Timothy 1.12, which says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. As her memory worsened and her body became more and more weak, her family decided she would live out her final days in the care of a nursing home. Her family came often for visits, and each time she would quote her favorite verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Weeks passed, and though her love for Jesus never waned, her body weakened and her voice became faint as she was dying. Her family could still hear her repeating 2 Timothy 1, 12, but the words became fewer and fewer, and at the end there was only left the only word left that she could say was him. She worshipped it, whispered it again and again with her dying breath, him, him, him. It was all she could say and all she had left. She held on to the word that was closest to her heart and indeed the word that is at the heart of his own word, him. That's what she was looking forward to, was to see him, to see Jesus. And I think we need to ask ourselves, when we are on our deathbed, will we have the same kind of peace, the same kind of confidence as this lady had, as David had, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? This lady had no doubt, David had no doubts that he would spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. And you know what? It wasn't because, because he was some great guy. I mean, he was a mess up. David was a mess up. He, he committed some major sins, and so it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to heaven because I'm such a good guy. The reason why he, he, he was so confident is because he had a personal relationship with the Lord. And this whole psalm is about David celebrating and rejoicing and delighting in, in, in his personal, intimate relationship with God, that he was a sheep and God was his shepherd. And I said at the beginning of this series, you may, the, you may know 
this psalm. But the question is, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd of this psalm? And the only way for you to live forever in the Lord's presence is if you know him as your shepherd. And we know that for us today, the shepherd is who? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ himself applied this analogy of the shepherd and sheep to himself. And we know that in John chapter 14, after revealing himself as the good shepherd, Jesus told his disciples, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And in in John chapter 10, verses uh, 27 through 30, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one who is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, I and the Father are one. So here, here's our promises, right? Jesus has gone ahead of us, right, to prepare a place for us and he will come back and get us. That's promise number one. Promise number two, right, is that if you are one of his sheep, right, no one can ever snatch you out of his hand. Your eternal salvation is secure in Christ. And so I think that God expects us and he wants us to live with this confidence. I ask people often, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And people will say, well, I mean, I don't know. That sounds kind of prideful kind of presumptuous to think that you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. I'm like, I know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. And it's not because I'm a pastor, right? Again, I've dedicated my life to serve the Lord. No, it's because I've acknowledged the fact that I'm a sinner who deserves to be punished outside of the presence of the Lord forever in hell. But that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that he's the only way that I can be made right with God. And I've committed my life to follow him as my master, as my shepherd, a sheep following the shepherd. And so my confidence in the fact that I'm going to go to heaven when I die is not because of anything I've done. It's because of what Christ has done for me. And God has simply granted me the faith to believe that. Someone said this, every verse of Psalm 23, every phrase, every promise, every image, every word was purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, if you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die, you've got to know Jesus. And that blood that he shed for sin needs to be applied to your sins. And all you need to do is ask. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
Interesting. Revelation chapter 7. The picture of heaven. Revelation chapter 7 verse 15. For this reason they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So in the Old Testament, The shepherd, or excuse me, the sheep would die for the shepherd, right? You raise sheep, right, for food and other things to harvest, to kill, right? But in the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. He was the lamb. He became a lamb who was slain. But in heaven, that lamb will be transformed into what? The shepherd. The lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, The Lamb, Jesus Christ, will guide us and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. This is what we have to look forward to. All this, all this, goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives and heaven too. F.B. Meyer Just a couple more things. I'll just read these things and we'll be done because they're so good I don't want you to miss them. One man says this, that David rejoices in the exceeding greatness of God's love that this almighty God should condescend to be a shepherd. The language is simple but the truth is amazing and the experience of it is breathtaking. In all the circumstances of life, God is providing for me and even when I make a mess of things, God restores my soul Every day, the goodness and mercy of God follow me to minister to my needs. Death itself, the last enemy, which has always terrified man, is even subdued by the presence of the shepherd. And then F.B. Meyer says this. This is my creed. Talking about Psalm 23. This is my creed. I need and desire no other. I learned it from my mother's lips. I've repeated it every morning when I awoke for the last 20 years. Yet I do not half understand it. I'm only beginning now to spell out its infinite meaning. And death will come on me with a task unfinished. In other words, we just spent six weeks studying the Psalm 23, and guess what? We don't know the half of it. And death will come to us, and we'll still not fully understand Psalm 23. But by the grace of Jesus, I will hold on by this psalm as my creed, And I will strive to believe it and to live it, for I know that it will lead me to the cross and it will guide me to glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this psalm that is indeed the gospel in miniature. We we just see it's just a miniature gospel and and we see Jesus here and all that he is and all that he uh, has done and all that he will do for us as his sheep. And I would ask, Lord, tonight that you would work in the hearts of every uh, person here, that they would have the assurance, the confidence that they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, or that they would know for sure that they're on their way to heaven because they have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of our soul. 
And so, Father, continue to use your word to uh, sanctify us, to strengthen us, Lord, and to conform us more to the image of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.